Thank you, Ben, for reading our scripture tonight. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And in our study tonight, we want to talk about the significance of the Lord's Supper. Let me just take this opportunity to express appreciation to each of you for your presence tonight. To those of you that are visiting, we always encourage you to come back and be with us. We're very grateful for, honor, we're grateful for you honoring us with your presence. We always want you to know that you are welcome here. We'd love to have you come and be a part of the work here if you're looking for a church home. And we think that we have a lot to offer. And there's a place for service in this congregation for you. Tonight we turn our attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The church at Corinth was plagued with a number of problems, one of which had to do with the Lord's Supper and their abuse of the Lord's Supper. And there is a purpose behind our partaking of this memorial feast every first day of the week. Memorials are important. Tomorrow, as you well know, is Memorial Day. It is a time that has been set aside by our country to remember all of the valiant men and women who have given their lives in service to this country. I suspect that there are some of you here tonight that know of people that laid down their lives for service on behalf of America. I think back to when I was just a boy. One of my cousin's closest friends wanted to go to Vietnam. He got that opportunity. He was there one week, hit a landmine, and was gone. I remember being in my aunt's backyard when the news came. And I heard about his death. And no doubt that was a painful experience to that family. I remember some years ago talking to his father. And he said to me, I don't think of him as a 50-year-old man. He said, I think of him as a young boy. Memorials are meaningful. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul talks about the significance of the Lord's Supper. And there is a lot of meaning attached to partaking of this weekly feast. And so with that in mind, I want to call attention to some of the facets that are involved in partaking of this memorial feast. First of all, as we reflect upon the Lord's Supper, I think that there is a command to Christians everywhere to look backward. In a retrospective way, we look back to the cross, reminding ourselves of the significance of the death of Jesus on Golgotha, Calvary. Listen, if you would, to what the Apostle Paul says, beginning in verse 23. For I received from the Lord Jesus that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, 
eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. First of all, let me just call attention to the setting of the institution of this memorial feast. If you go back to the book of Matthew in chapter 26, Jesus, of course, is celebrating the Passover feast with his disciples. The Passover, of course, takes us back to the book of Exodus. You remember God's people were enslaved in Egypt. And God was about to bring them out with a mighty hand. He would bear them, as he would say to Moses, on eagle's wings and ultimately bring them unto himself. In Exodus chapter 12, God instructed Moses to institute the Passover. That involved a Passover lamb, a lamb that was without blemish. The significance, of course, correlates to the New Testament. Because as Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 at verse 7, Christ is our Passover lamb who was sacrificed for us. You remember God instructed the children of Israel to take the blood of that lamb and place that blood on the doorpost and on the lintel. And God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over the house, thereby sparing the firstborn. Those of us today who are in the body of Christ, we are in that blood-bought institution. We have a very special relationship with the Lord, a relationship that has been made possible through the sacrifice of Jesus as Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, who is our Passover lamb. And so every person that has been baptized into Christ is a part of his body. And ultimately, they belong to him. You recall in Exodus chapter 13, God set apart the firstborn. And God said, they're mine. Today, every person who belongs to the body of Christ is said to be the Lord's. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have from God. He said, You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So we belong to God. When Jesus celebrated the Passover feast with his disciples, and of course, we're talking now about the closing hours of the life of Jesus. Jesus knew that the cross lay before him. He had come to fulfill the will of Almighty God. He would say in John chapter 17, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you've given me to do. When he instituted the Lord's Supper, it was to remind disciples, to remind Christians of all ages of his death. Note, if you would, 
two times in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in verses 24 and 25, Jesus says in connection with the bread and the cup, this do in remembrance of me. The Lord wanted his followers, his disciples, to remember what? His death, his sacrifice, the yielding of his life for the sins of the human family. Now, as we think about the setting, I want to also introduce the symbols. Because in verse 23, Paul said that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, and of course Judas Iscariot, sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. The Bible says that Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me when we come together on the first day of the week and partake of the unleavened bread. We bring to mind the body that was given on Calvary for us. You remember the psalmist in the long ago, and the psalmist, by the way, was quoted by the Hebrew writer in chapter 10 in about verse 5. When he said, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body you have prepared for me. Jesus tabernacled in human flesh. He was, as John said, the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. And John said, We beheld His glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus willingly gave His body on Calvary for our sins. The Hebrew writer said, By the which will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And then Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2 said that Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile or deceit found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, threatened not. But committed himself unto him who judges righteously. Who his own self bore our sins in his body on the cross. Jesus bore my sins on Calvary. As Peter said, he bore my sins in his body. He was willing to die for me. Peter would say in 1 Peter 3 verse 18 that Jesus was the just dying for the unjust. Why? That he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh but made alive by the Spirit. So Jesus in the institution of this memorial feast first takes bread, unleavened bread, symbolizing his body given in our stead. And then Paul said in verse 25, in the same manner he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant, the new testament in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. If you go back to Matthew chapter 26, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper or this memorial feast, 
when he talked about the blood that would be shed. He said, this is the blood of the New Testament that is shed for the many for the remission of sins. Why did Jesus go to Calvary? To save us from sin? What was it that would make it possible for us to enjoy a relationship with Almighty God, His blood? You remember in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul in writing to the church at Ephesus in verse 1 he said, And you has he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. In verse 12, he speaks of those who are outside a covenant relationship with God. He said they're without hope and without God in this world. In verse 13, though, he said, But now in Christ Jesus, you that once were far off are made nigh, brought near, by what? By the blood of Christ. Jesus Christ shed his blood in death and thus put into motion the New Testament, the New Covenant. Today the Bible says that Jesus is the mediator of the New Covenant. With regard to the blood of Jesus and the significance of this blood, Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 1, in verse 18, For as much as you were not redeemed with corruptible things, such as silver and gold received by tradition from the vain conversation of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus, as of a lamb, without spot and without blemish. Now, let me just pause there for a minute. You remember Paul said that Jesus is our Passover lamb? John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming from afar on one occasion, said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. What is it that washes away our sins? The blood of Jesus, doesn't it? It's imperative that we contact the blood of Christ. No one can be saved separate and apart from the blood of Jesus. And so every time we partake of the cup, we are to remember the precious blood of Jesus shed on our behalf. As Peter said, as of a lamb without spot, and without blemish. And by the way, that Passover lamb was to be a lamb without blemish. We talk about the type and the antitype, those things that foreshadowed the good things to come, as the Hebrew writer would talk about in Hebrews chapter 10. In Ephesians 1, verse 7, Paul said, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Jesus Christ is the person of redemption. He's the one that has made it all possible. And the price of our redemption is His blood. And so by instituting this memorial feast, the intent is to keep that in the forefront of our memory as His people. So we look backward to the cross, reminding ourselves of the body and the blood of Jesus. But then there's a second thing we're called upon to look inward. We look backward and we look inward. That is, we take an introspective look at our own lives. Drop down with me for a moment and listen to what Paul said beginning in verse 27. 
Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. I think what Paul is saying here is that as we partake of the Lord's Supper, it is a very solemn occasion. It is to be accompanied with great reverence. I mentioned a moment ago that we are to internally evaluate our lives. When Paul said, let a man examine himself and then eat of that bread and drink of that cup, I think what he's saying is that when we enter in to this memorial feast, we need to do so with the right attitude. Worship involves our inward spirit, does it not? Do you remember in John chapter 4, verse 24, Jesus said, God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In other words, we worship God according to the right authority, that is, his word. We worship God with the right attitude, that is, in spirit. When we come together on the first day of the week, our mind has to be engaged in the various acts of worship. There are five acts of worship. And I think each and every act is equally important. No one act is more important than the other. They're all important. They're all imperative. But what Paul is saying and what Jesus is saying is that when we enter in to this memorial feast and in, enter into worship itself, we need to have the right attitude. We need to make preparation. Sometimes we talk about leaving the cares of the world for the next hour and focusing our minds on a period of worship. I think that's appropriate. Sometimes it's difficult for us to come in from the hustle and bustle of life and all the things that are going on and then to immediately engage in worship. So I'm called upon to reflect on the death of Jesus and to remember the significance of this memorial. Really, there is what I would call a personal examination required. It is personal and profound. Every first day of the week, when I partake of this bread, I ought to ask myself, what does the death of Jesus mean to me? When I partake of the cup, I ought to ask myself, what does the significance of the blood of Jesus mean to me? The bottom line is, without Christ's death on Calvary, I would be lost. You would be lost. And so this memorial feast affords us the opportunity to reflect for a few moments on the death of Jesus.
You go back to Calvary and you can read the record. You can look at the betrayal of Christ, the trial, the mockery, the humiliation, the degradation. You can go back and look at the cruelty, the inhumanity, the ugliness of the cross. All of that was done for me and for you. Do you remember what Paul said in writing to the church at Corinth? You've heard of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he were rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be made rich. If it were not for Jesus, where would you be right now? You'd be lost. Were it not for Jesus, you know where I'd be lost. It may be the case that once we become a Christian and begin living the Christian life, that partaking of the Lord's Supper becomes, as we say sometimes, ho-hum. We're just going through the motions. Paul here is saying it's a very serious thing to partake of the Lord's Supper. And to those that would write notes or talk or think about what they're going to eat in the afternoon or think about some sporting event or text or whatever, during the Lord's Supper, need to reread what Paul said here. Listen again. He who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And in verse 30, he said, For this reason many are weak and sick among you, and many asleep. There were some folks at Corinth. Spiritually speaking, they were sick. And so when we come together on the first day of the week and recall the events of Calvary, it ought to be with grateful hearts. I think about the words of Paul in writing to the saints of Galatia when he said, speaking of Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul would say to the church at Corinth that those of us who live should no longer live for ourselves, but rather we are to live for him who died and rose again. It may be the case that one of the reasons sometimes Christians lose their zeal and lose the motivation or the motivating factor for serving him is they forget about the death of Christ. Memorials are for a reason. Go back and read Exodus chapter 12, verse 14. When God instituted the Passover feast, he said, this is a memorial to you. They were required to observe the Passover every year. Where? In the city of Jerusalem. And so it ought to be looked upon as an honor, as a privilege. We have the privilege of breaking bread and communing with the Lord during this memorial feast. And then there is a third thing. We talk about looking backward and inward, but we are to look forward. Note what Paul said in verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, first the frequency of the Lord's Supper. 
Paul said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, how often did the saints in the first century partake of the Lord's Supper? In Acts chapter 20 at verse 7, they did so on the first day of the week. And by the way, they did this every first day of the week. Just like they gave of their means every first day of the week, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. When people are absent from worship on Sunday, one of the things that they deprive themselves of is the opportunity to bring to mind the death of Jesus. And there's a correlation in apostasy and absenting oneself from the worship. Just read Hebrews chapter 10. Those that were forsaking the, the coming together on the first day of the week, many of those people were apostatizing. And so this memorial feast helps, helps us to remember the significance of what Christianity is all about. It's about Christ. It's about His death. Now, we talk about the frequency of the Lord's Supper. But note, if you would, the importance of faith as we observe the Lord's Supper. Paul said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. You ever thought about what a solemn statement we make to the world every first day of the week? You think about Christians all over the globe meeting together on the first day of the week, and one of the things that they're doing in the five acts of worship is partaking of the Lord's Supper. They're remembering the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. That's what we do every first day of the week. And what we're saying to the world is that the death of Jesus is of the utmost importance. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, cardinal doctrines of the New Testament, without which we'd have no hope. So we're making a statement. Sometimes visitors will come, and it may be that they know nothing about the church. They, might, they may not know much about religion or Christianity. They may have just a vague idea of the Lord's Supper. They may not really understand its significance. But when we partake of this bread and this cup, we're saying to them and to the world, this is of the utmost importance. This is what life is all about. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, Paul said, we do this until he comes again. The world may stand a million years from now, and there'll be New Testament Christians that are doing the same thing we do every first day of the week. You know what they'll be doing? They'll be partaking of the bread, reminding themselves of the body of Jesus. They'll, they'll be partaking of the cup, reminding themselves of the blood of Jesus. It's a privilege to be a Christian. And the Lord has given us signposts or memorials 
to keep fresh in our minds his death. I would hope and pray that as we partake of the Lord's Supper every week, that we do so with a sense of gratitude, a sense of reverence. When we talk about worship, let me just close by saying this. Worship is an important facet in Christianity. I understand that we only meet to worship a couple of times a week. But we're bowing in the presence of the great I Am. Church building, this auditorium, nothing really sacred about this building or this auditorium. But there is something sacred about the one before whom we come. We're in the presence of Almighty God. As God said to Moses, take off your shoes, take off your sandals. For the ground whereon you're standing is holy ground. We're in the presence of a holy God. And we're bowing in reverence to Him. Worshiping Him. And the word worship means acts of reverence paid to deity. So it's an opportunity for us to remember and to rekindle and to be revived. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we're grateful for your word, which is a lamp to our feet, a light under our pathway. We're thankful for the many blessings and privileges that we have as your people. As we reflect upon the importance of this memorial feast, may we always be grateful for the body and blood that was given for us. May we partake of this memorial feast with the right attitude. May we come with hearts prepared to worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Tonight, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ. I want to encourage you to put your faith and trust in Jesus, the Son of God. Be like the Apostle Peter, recognizing Jesus that he's who he claimed to be, the Son of God. And then willingly walk away from sin, repent. Confess the name of Jesus before others, just like the eunuch did as recorded by Luke in Acts 8, 37. Confess that you believe that Jesus is the Son of the living God and then be immersed in a watery grave of baptism so that every sin can be washed away. If you'll do that, God has promised to place you in His body. And the beauty of being in the body is you're among the redeemed, the cleansed, the saved. The Lord has promised to save those who are in His body. Why? Because that's where the blood is. The only way you can get in, in the body is to be baptized into Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. It might be that you're here tonight, you're not faithful to the cause of Christ. And I would hope that as you reflect upon the death of Jesus for your sins, that you'll realize the importance of coming back to Him who loved you and gave his life for you. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why not come tonight as we stand and sing?